This is Shelter in Place, a podcast about coming together in a world that pulls us apart. From Oakland, California to Hamilton, Massachusetts, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. I come from a country where we had a dictatorship for 23 years, so when I got my American citizenship back in 2006, it was the most important event for me. Every time I go vote here, I wake up in the morning very excited to exercise a right that I have not been able to exercise back home. And I get surprised that people would not want to use that right. I'm still hoping that things would change when people go vote, even if they haven't done it in the past. I really hope that people understand the importance of election and know that's one of the ways to be able to voice their opinion and their opinion can matter. Here in the United States, it's been a big week. We've been biting our nails, compulsively refreshing the live election map, wondering who the next president will be. I record these episodes in advance, and this time around I waited as long as I possibly could for those results to come in. But nearly 24 hours after the polls have closed, we still don't have an answer. It could still go either way. As the hours tick by and the votes trickle in, it's beginning to sink in that no matter who wins, we'll be just as divided tomorrow as we were yesterday. If you're just joining us, you're welcome to listen to these episodes out of order. But especially this week, if you need something to distract you or to pull you out of the pit, I recommend going back to the beginning of season two, starting with a prologue to this pandemic odyssey. It might give you some encouragement and maybe even some laughter in a time when we all really need it. The original Odyssey begins with a house divided that looks like it might break out into riots at any moment. King Odysseus has been gone for so long that everyone assumes he's dead. And in his absence, his leaderless home has been overrun by a greedy, selfish mob, which can sometimes feel like our country today. It's a picture of anarchy with no obvious resolution. All of that changes when the goddess Athena visits Odysseus' son Telemachus. She reminds him that no matter how bad things look, the story isn't over. She launches Telemachus on a journey to find his father. She restores his hope. I don't have divine powers or the ability to fix our divided country. But today, I'm here to remind you that the story isn't over. This past week, I've been bringing you stories of people who have refused to let fear get the best of them, who responded to seemingly hopeless situations with courage. Like Odysseus, some of them have come from distant lands. Like our family, some of them have ended up in some surprising places. My name is Emira Karout. I am currently in Louisville, Kentucky. I am originally from Tunisia. I'm a photojournalist, anthropologist, and educator. I've been in the U.S. for about 12 years, half of that time Northeast and half of it here in Kentucky. Amira and I got connected through a women's podcasting network that I'm a part of. I first learned about her work because she reached out to me to tell me that she was listening to Shelter in Place. Hers is a story about following your dreams about understanding your identity and learning to live for more than yourself. 
It's a story about what we as a nation could become. But I also wanted you to hear from Amira because if you want a fair picture of this country, talk to a naturalized citizen. They understand patriotism. Most of them had to fight to get here, and they've taken some pretty weighty oaths to become citizens. At the same time, they're realistic about the challenges and problems of living here because they've experienced them firsthand. I asked Amira to tell me about her life in Tunisia, about what brought her here to the U.S. So Tunisia, it's in North Africa. It's border of Libya and Algeria and on the Mediterranean. It's a beautiful country. South of Italy, in uh, very clear days, you can see some of the Italian islands. That's how close it is to Italy. Geographically, I would not want to live anywhere else. Tunisia is a great country, but it's a country with old history. There were rules for women. I was not living in a war. I wasn't running away from political issues personally, but I was definitely running away and trying to find a place that I can be me. If you've been following this pandemic odyssey, then you know that a couple of months ago, the California wildfires and the combined challenges of pandemic living pushed our family to make a very sudden decision to leave our home in Oakland. We don't know when we'll be back, and we're still hoping that this migration is temporary. But as we've traveled and settled into life on the opposite coast, we've tried to at least be open to the idea that home could be somewhere else. And we keep asking ourselves, what makes a good home? Geography and weather and even job opportunities aren't the anchors that they used to be. We still don't have an answer, but wherever we end up, we're longing for the same thing that Amira was. We want to live in a place where we're embraced by those around us, a place where we can belong. I always had this dream of being able to go to a place that it didn't matter what's my last name, it didn't matter which neighborhood I lived in. There is this fantasy about coming to the U.S. to be able to be who you are and as a woman to find freedom. That's the illusion created by Hollywood about how women are free and they can wear whatever they want and they can go out at night without being harassed. Amira said that she thinks that it's not all illusion, that part of this is true. When I was 19, I remember an experience that shifted everything for me. My oldest brother moved here in the U.S. to Kissimmee, Florida, like the tiniest small town in America. I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt, and I stepped out of the house and I walked to Walmart. No car stopped. Nobody harassed me or told me anything. By the time I got to Walmart, I was looking around and I stopped at the jewelry section and there was this old lady who greeted me and asked me if I needed help, if I wanted to try anything. And the whole experience still today, it's so vivid. It's so vivid, as simple as it is. For once, I felt like I can be a woman in my own body without having to worry about it. My own experience of those few days that I spent in Florida made it clear for me that I wanted to come to the U.S. 
And since that day, it was like an obsession. I came back home and I went to an American school to take English classes. Being one of seven, I knew that my parents would not send me to the U.S. to go to college when I was able to get my education for free there. We don't have to pay for education in Tunisia. I was going to business school and there was political oppression, but it was the standard and everybody accepted it. So even for my parents, like, why would you want to go? Amira told me that while her parents didn't want her to leave Tunisia, her mom understood why she'd want to go. And that ultimately, she was supportive of Amira going to the U.S. But in the beginning, the idea of moving there was barely more than a pipe dream. She needed more than her parents' support or her own determination. She needed a miracle. My best friend's boyfriend at that time, he's a lawyer. I was looking at his office and I had all this immigration paper to go to France, Belgium, the US, and all different places. I was laughing at him. I was like, I did not realize that the green card lottery actually exists. I thought that it was a joke. <laughs> and he's like, no, no, no it's a real thing and I was asking him you're a lawyer and you're a man why would you want to leave like everything that I don't have he has you know? and he's like yeah I still want to go somewhere else you know it's too oppressive here and I want to leave for better opportunity the green card lottery officially called the diversity immigrant visa program was signed into law back in 1990 by President Bush the first one it was designed to broaden the range of admitted immigrants and helped the Irish in particular, who had been experiencing political unrest and violence for decades. These days, we associate immigrant advocacy with progressives. But I think it's worth pausing here to acknowledge that it was a Republican, not a Democrat, who made the green card lottery possible. A side note that in the 1980s, Ronald Reagan passed legislation that gave amnesty to a whole generation of undocumented immigrants living in the U.S., it's important to state up front that our immigration system is endlessly complicated, often needlessly so. But the gist of the diversity immigrant visa program is this. Applicants from approved countries can apply for free. Winners are selected at random and then screened through an interview process, where, among other things, the applicants need to show that they have support in the U.S. that would make life there feasible. If they pass, they get visas. And then when they arrive in the U.S., they get a green card, which means that they can legally live and work in the U.S. and eventually apply for U.S. citizenship. The whole process takes about two years, start to finish. We filled out the paper, and at that time, in the late 90s, it's an NA4 page. You write your name, last name, date of birth, your education level, put an ID picture and sign in the bottom. That's all you do. Really pure lottery. Like, either you're lucky or you're not. We went out to have a coffee at this place and forgot about it. And I remember one day it was a period where we take exams. I usually, like, stay at my friend's house and all of us, like, studying together. And my brother calls me and he's like, look, you got this big envelope. It has the American government stamped. You got to come home. I don't understand English. I was like, I don't have time for that. I have an exam. When I get back home, I will look at it. <laughs> there it is. I got my green card. It, it's just mind-blowing. Only about 5% of the people who receive green cards do so through the lottery. And to give you some sense of the odds of winning the lottery, 
Up until Trump suspended the program in April, about 22 million people apply for the 50,000 visas issued through the lottery each year. Amira was one of only 175 people in Tunisia to be granted a green card through the lottery that year. Amira was 23 when she came, and she knows how lucky she was. Not just because she won the lottery, but because she had a brother living in New York at the time. Living with him allowed her to find a job and get on her feet without the stress of paying rent or trying to navigate a new culture alone. I think as immigrants, we come here and we don't know the obstacles and we are not aware of a culture and we have this illusion of this country being the land of opportunity, so we go for it. I was working in Union Square at the Virgin Megastore, putting CDs in the world music section, enjoying learning about other music, talking with people about music. Back home, unless you're privileged from the family that can get you a job, you finish your undergrad, and you just continue studying and do your master. And it was kind of straightforward for me to go to school. So I would have more chances and opportunities to get the job that I wanted, which is a financial analyst in the stock market. People would ask me, what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, I'm going to apply for an MBA. And they're like, well, good for you. Being very encouraging, which I really appreciated. It's something that we don't have in my culture. When the dream is very big, people will laugh at you when you say it out loud. You know, here, people are very polite and very considerate and very politically correct, which has a downside to it. But the upside of it is that it really made me continue believing in my dream. It was great. And I finished my MBA and the illusion continued. Amira knows now that her experience was far from typical. But still... It's encouraging to hear a story of someone coming here and being treated well. It's a picture of what we could be, of what we sometimes are. A place where people still believe in following their dreams. A place that embraces its blend of people, cultures, and traditions. A place where freedom is the highest value. But as Amira soon found out, the reality of our national identity is far more complicated. I got an offer in Boston and the journey began of what America is right there. I moved to Boston in the winter. It was a storm. The whole city was shut down and couldn't go out, but didn't care. I was too excited. I would go to the gym and I was taking photography classes and trying to meet people. But people are super cold. I was surprised and, and shocked because New York, as much as people think of it as a place that people don't care about each other, at the end of the day in New York, everyone is lonely. So when people are out, when you're in a coffee shop or in a bar or in the gym, people actually have a conversation. I'm 27, I have this great career, I have all this money and I can't have a social life. I don't know if it was because I'm a person of color or not but I definitely did not feel like I fit. That was the discovery for me of what America is. I want to stop here and acknowledge that while Boston has a reputation of being chilly to outsiders, Amira's experience could have happened anywhere. Just as being welcomed in New York was a picture of our country at its best, Amira's experience in Boston is a reminder of how isolated we can make others feel when we don't acknowledge them. 
The dream that Amir had chased here began to fade until finally she couldn't see it anymore. Eventually, her company transferred her to an office in Paris. And I found within a month that I have a normal life where I have a job and a social life. And I remember when they wanted me to go back to Boston, I was like, no way, even if it means losing my job. My friends were like, are you sure? This is a big decision. And I'm like, I don't care. I could not see myself going back to the U.S. I just didn't want to come back here. I did not feel I belong. I'll be back with more of this story right after this short break from one of our sponsors. I never really took meditation seriously until my friend Jerry's doctor told him that he needed to start. I was coaching Jerry that year, and while running was beneficial, meditation was life-changing. Today, Jerry is a trained instructor and founder of Imagine Mindfulness, an online wellness program to reduce stress, anxiety, depression, and pain while improving awareness, clarity, and concentration. Use the promo code SHELTER when you register online at imaginemindfulness.com. I moved back home and started applying for jobs in Europe, but quickly I got an offer in Tunisia with a bank. My parents were getting older, so I was like, well, it's a great opportunity to come back and spend time with my parents and with my family. I thought that I was going to stay there forever, but especially if you immigrate early, it becomes very difficult to belong again. There is a lot of ways of thinking that were in me before I go to the U.S. And when I came, they got stronger. Like my belief of I'm as equal as a man, I'm as equal as someone from a different class than me and refusing to accept any injustice. And I have to say that I was also in an industry that it's male-dominated. There are things that fly by me when they are said in English. I have no background about this word, especially at the beginning. But in Tunisia, it got accentuated more. When I went back home and I was still working on that industry, I could not stand it. I was frustrated all the time, always in confrontation with men working around me that they don't think I deserve where I am or the salary that I have. It was just constant stress and battle. I worked hard to get there, and I'm as capable as any man who work in that industry. But if I have to justify it all the time or refuse any advances for a man because they believe I got there because I'm a woman and I'm using my body, it was very tiring, very, very tiring. And that's what led me actually to quit my career. I couldn't take it. Amira worked as a global financial analyst on Wall Street for 10 years. She was good at her job. But in the end, it wasn't worth the cost. So she decided to do something big, something that was maybe a little crazy. Instead of barreling down the same path she'd been on, first in the U.S. and then in Tunisia, she got off the path completely. When I left finance, it was clear for me that I had to heal myself and shed all the ugliness that I experienced and the trauma that I held on for too long. I decided to pack my stuff and go and travel to the farthest places I could be that would teach me other ways of living. 
and forget about the capitalist world, the world that is attached to everything material, and it was a great journey. When I started the trip, I had no idea what I would do with my life. I was expecting to go back to the finest industry. That's what I knew, but I wanted to give myself space to rethink my life and think what matters to me in life. When I left on the trip, part of me was trying to find where does that gap of women and men and that inequality come from. I believe that as humans, we probably, at the beginning of our life million years ago, we were not in that place. We probably have seen each other equal and complementary rather than fighting each other. I was trying to be with people who hold on to their culture and to their communities and resisted the influence of materialism. I went to New Caledonia, Fiji, Papua New Guinea. And while I was traveling, I was taking pictures. Sometimes I would write. I had a blog, a way of connecting with family and friends. Like they know if I posted a picture on Facebook, I'm alive. They know I'm safe. And a lot of people started following me. I grew up believing that I would not be able to choose a career in art. I always wanted to do journalism, but coming from middle class, it was clear that that's not a career that would allow me to have my independence as a woman. And that's how I chose business school. I'm good in math, I'm good in numbers. I said art will still be in my life in one way or another, but to be who I am and to be able to be independent and free, I had to take that career. Once you're successful, I mean, it's great, and you forget about the childhood dreams. You make it work, and I did. But when I left, there was so much relief and so much joy. I was so free for the first time in my life. I felt that here I am, I'm born again. Amira ended up spending a year traveling around the world and she observed tribal cultures in 15 different countries. She came to each place as a student of the culture. And as she began to repair some of the brokenness and inequalities in her own life, she began to think about how she could play a role in changing the systems that perpetuated those inequalities. Traveling really taught me to be open, to allow myself to experience things and understand why we have those differences and what can we do to build the bridges and be able to communicate better with each other. And that's what I felt that I can do with my photography. I found that I can have people question cultures and question the places and question the media itself. I start looking at refugees, particularly the older refugee camps that have been a refugee camp for 40 and 60 years that people don't know about, trying also to question why are we not able to solve those issues and why does the system hold on to those issues? How can we be so blinded just because we are in a comfortable place and we're paid well and the system is working well for us? I would love to fight that ignorance of if you make it, everybody is supposed to make it. It is not true. It's the biggest mistake a human being can do is judging someone that was not able to come out of their misery. Amira brings up an uncomfortable reality, one that is easier to ignore. All people are created equal, but we're not all born with the same advantages. 
The idea behind the American dream, that we can all achieve our dreams if we just work hard enough, sounds good enough on the surface. It makes us feel exceptional, but we tend to overcredit our abilities and undercredit our circumstances. We don't get to choose what family or country or body we're born into. If we have one parent or two, or if our family has the money or connections to get us into a good school, or if we're physically able to pursue everything we'd like to. Amira did work hard for what she achieved, but she also knows none of that would have happened without the people and circumstances that put her there. I'm hoping that the work that I do will be able to participate in solving the differences that divide us today and hopefully inspires the next generation. Amira never did go back to the finance industry. Instead, she returned to the U.S. and got a master's degree in anthropology at the University of Louisville. In 2006, she became a U.S. citizen. For years, she's been working to make others feel at home. Her photography is focused on displaced people in the United States and in the Middle East. And in August, her work highlighting local immigrant stories was featured in a PBS American Portrait special. Amira also teaches multimedia journalism to teenage girls of color through Girl Z Report, an education program that she started with a grant from the Kentucky Foundation for Women. The Facebook page where Amira once chronicled her travels is now the page for Girl Z Report. The first thing they studied was the history behind women's right to vote. One of Amira's proudest achievements is that one of her students made a video called Voter Girl. It was selected for a national collaborative for women's history documentary. Amira is still looking for more girls to be a part of Girl Z Report. I'll include links to her site in the show notes for today. Even with everything she's accomplished, Amira says she still feels like she has a lot of work to do. She knows that facing fear isn't something you do once and then put behind you. It's a decision that you make every day. I do love where I live, but there are moments living in Kentucky, taking part of the Black Lives Matter movement. There are moments that a lot of trauma came back from living in an oppressive system and I would not want to see that happen to this country. It's a scary time. I have no idea what America will be. I know the fear that I lived after Trump made his first executive order of blocking immigrants from seven countries. Even though my country, Tunisia, was not on that list, I was still hurt as much as my brothers and sisters from Iran. Being Muslim is something that is demonized today, and I hate to be treated that way. We're not demon. Not all Arab countries are the same. There's 22 countries, and all of them have a completely different background, and they are completely different from each other. These wars or these issues should bring more curiosity to learn about other countries, and it did for a few people, but not many. As much as I critique America, the U.S. brought me the hope that I can live free and I would love it to still be that country. It's still the country that gives hope to people to live with dignity. And there's a lot of people that do a lot of work to keep that going. And I hope that that hope would still be there. I've been ending each episode with an invitation. And so today, I'm extending Amira's words to you. When you see wars or conflicts or conversations that divide us, 
ask yourself what it would look like to approach that conflict with curiosity. Maybe it's learning about another country and culture. Maybe it's looking around in your own life and reaching out to others who might be feeling out of place. Maybe it's looking not only to our leaders, but to our communities to define what this country will be. Before I go, I want to send out a special thank you to Emily and Donovan Chandler, who, in addition to being monthly supporters of Shelter in Place, are somehow managing to care well for us from 3,000 miles away. This week, after they heard that our coffee grinder was broken, they sent Nate a new one for his birthday. Shelter in Place would not be possible without the many cups of coffee every day that are keeping us going. And we're so grateful for friends who make us feel at home no matter where we are. If you've enjoyed today's episode, I hope you'll subscribe and share it with a friend. In our conversations with potential sponsors, the first thing they ask about is the number of downloads we get. So when you share this with others and ask them to subscribe, you move us a little closer to making this work sustainable. Rating and leaving a quick review about what you like about Shelter in Place helps others to find us. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the handle Shelter in Place Podcast and on Twitter at Laura Joyce Davis. If you're thinking, hey, I'd like to get occasional emails from Laura, you can sign up for our newsletter, find show notes and information about our incredible sponsors, Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines, and Imagine Mindfulness, as well as ways to support the show at shelterinplacepodcast.info. We'd love to hear from you. Additional music and sound effects for this episode came from Storyblocks. As always, if you listen all the way to the end of this episode, you'll hear some shelter-in-place outtakes, a little something to make you laugh. The shelter-in-place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Nate Davis is our creative director, and Sarah Edgel is our design director. Until next week, this is Shelter-in-Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis. And now, if you're still listening, here's a little outtake. Who's next? Biden or Trump? Alama. Start with Washington. Washington and Jefferson, Madison, Monroe, Adams, Jackson, and Mary, Harrison, Tyler, Pocahontas, and Robinson, Ken, Lincoln, Johnson, Grandpa, Hayes, Garfield. Washington Adams, Jefferson Madison, Monroe Adams, Jackson Van Van Buren, Harrison Tyler, Puck and Taylor, Fillmore Pierce Buchanan, Lincoln Johnson, Granton Hayes, Garfield Arthur, Cleveland Harrison, Cleveland McKinley, Roosevelt Taft, Wilson Harding, Coolidge, Cougar, Roosevelt, Truman, Eisen Hardy, Kennedy Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, and Clinton, Bush, Obama, and... And then say Biden. Biden. Biden.